This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to part three of the mailbag. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined, as always, by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. So let's jump right back into the mailbag with Prepare for Disappointment, who asks... How did Gase plan to run the ball this season without Bell? Well, I'm sure he doesn't plan to do that now, but I think the idea was that they were going to get Tevin Coleman for less money than they paid Le'Veon Bell, and then maybe they would draft a guy that would come in here as well. But I think Coleman was plan A for Gase. He just doesn't really value the running backs that much, and he much prefers guys that can make plays out of the backfield. So that's really what the answer is. I think he planned to bring in Tevin Coleman and have him be the running back that would get most of the touches, and so that's what he would have done if they hadn't signed levy on bell yeah it's definitely tevin coleman uh, like i said on a pod the other day though you know the thing about tevin coleman is a lot cheaper than levy on bell for a reason he's mm-hmm. not as good at all and if you sign tevin coleman to basically be your lead back or your number one back you also have to have signed somebody else to be an actual running back to do a lot of the things that tevin coleman can't do so he would have probably done, you know, signed another veteran somewhere else or, you know, probably somebody besides Ty Montgomery. And they probably would have maybe looked to somebody in the draft. It's interesting because remember they had all those, uh, everybody was making big deal right before the draft about all the pre-draft visits that they had with running backs and everything. So a lot of that I think was lined up before Le'Veon Bell and maybe it was some wishful thinking from Gase there uh, playing a part in that. But, it was going to be Tevin Coleman, and the Jets are way better off with Le'Veon Bell, even though it costs a lot more money. I can't imagine anybody thinking that Tevin Coleman was a better option than Le'Veon Bell, but I'm sure Adam Gase would tell me that I should shut up and do I know more football than him. So that's pretty yes. much where I sit with that. Next question comes in from Rodimus Prime. He says, why are the media and fans so focused on the optics of the moves rather than the move itself? It's a move that most of us agreed had to be made, and yet people are concerned that it looks like a circus. If this <coughs> is a circus, can I please have a ticket and some cotton candy? <laughs> well, I'll say this. Again, I don't think people are that upset about the optics per se. It's just that what it revealed is an owner that doesn't really seem to know what he's doing. And also, it gave power to somebody who most people don't trust with that power. So it's one of those things where as bad as McCagnin was, was giving that power to Gase an improvement Or maybe it makes things worse because if Gase comes in here and now that he has full authority, throws his weight around and starts getting into it with some of the more boisterous players, I don't want to scare people, but think about who that could mean. That could be something that could cause a problem down the line, and it's a legitimate reason for concern. But I agree. I do think that people are overstating it a little bit. Like Chris said, this isn't the Knicks or the Mets, but... There are definite concerns with how this was handled and what the end result was in terms of who has the power now. Yeah, it's the same thing that I said before. You know, these the concerns that are there are still there, and I definitely agree with Rodimus Prime here because you know this was an issue. The, the issue popped up with free agency disputes and the draft stuff. So yes, Woody Christopher Johnson. I'm going to keep doing that too. I'm going to keep saying Woody now. Uh, but Christopher Johnson uh, should have made the move at when he fired Bowles. Absolutely, that was a mistake. 
but he rectified that mistake now and his bad timing his bad optics and everything but it's better than letting it play out for the season letting them undermine each other and throughout the media throughout the season letting all that do so i give credit for christopher johnson for doing that much and i just think that this is what happens you have these types of moves and it's the jets so you're going to get lol jets and I get it. I, I do get it because there's a lot to question here. Empowering Gase isn't a good thing. And Christopher Johnson has shown that he's, he doesn't really know so much what he's doing when it comes to building an organization for football. But those concerns were there before. So it, 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 to me, for this to be labeled a circus now just seems kind of crazy to me. I think if Christopher Johnson made this move because he sat back, really thought about it, and realized that he had made a mistake... That's one thing. If he made this move because he allowed himself to be manipulated by Adam Gase, then that's a problem because that suggests an owner that is in way over his head. And if he was manipulated by Gase this time, he could be manipulated again. And if not by Gase, by somebody else. So that's something to definitely be concerned about. And I think that that's really where the worries should lie at this point as opposed to the optics. Yeah, that's fair. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Gus Toon. Oh, Gus, buddy, what are you trying to do to me asking this question? Should Christopher Johnson just start over with a new head coach and general manager like he should have in the first place? I think that ship has kind of sailed. Although Chris and I have talked about this, I would have sat them both down and said, look, the two of you better work this out. I'll fire both of you. I don't care. I'll make Greg Williams the interim coach. I'll make somebody else the interim general manager, and then I'll go out at the end of the season, and I'll go and get somebody else, because that's the way that if you're an alpha dog, you mark your territory and show who's really in charge. I think that if that was ever a possibility, that is long gone right now, and whether you like it or not, Adam Gase is in control at least for the rest of the year. Yeah, he's not He's not going to do this now. He's going to sit here and look at the way that everyone's reacting to this and then turn around and just be like, all right, that's it, coach is out of here too. And now I have to look for a, a new head coach and a new GM while we're trying to get ready for the season. That's, that's not going to happen. Uh, yeah, that's, that's just not going to happen. And then from here going forward, it's going to depend on how it goes. If, you know, keep in mind, they're, they're playing with a, a, a fourth place uh, schedule this year. Lots of teams historically have success under in the first year of a new coach. So they do a bunch of winning this year, and then everyone's going to kind of forget about this. It'll be like, hey, remember that? And then everyone will be celebrating, well, at least McCagney's not here anymore. So, And then we're going to have to wait until the next free agency and the next, next draft to really be able to pinpoint and uh, sit here and slander. Or not, I shouldn't say slander because McCagney wasn't slander. He, it was rightfully <laughs> deserved a criticism, but to criticize the next GM. We're a long way away from being able to criticize the next GM, even if they hire the, that person today. Next question comes in from Gus again, and he says, Already Gase is making waves within the team and comments towards Le'Veon Bell and C.J. Mosley and who knows who else. When the next GM comes in, 
Should they not have the authority to rein in Gase rather than Christopher Johnson? I really do not like both of them answering to Christopher Johnson. So, yes, of course, that reporting structure is ridiculous. It always has been. The general manager should be in charge, and he should report to the owner, and the head coach should report to the general manager. That said, it's really not going to matter in this case because whoever the general manager is that comes in is going to have to be somebody that is, quote, able to work with Gase, in other words, a friend of Gase, and so that means that whoever the general manager is is more or less going to have to defer to Gase because, let's be honest, Gase will be the one who got them the job. Bart Scott was joking about this on WFAN the other day, but it's true. Imagine a fight between, say, Joe Douglas and Adam Gase. Not so much a fight, but maybe a light disagreement about a player or a move. All Gase has to do is go, hey, Joe, remember how I got you this job? And that's it. So ultimately, Gase is going to have his way. The reporting structure should definitely be general manager reports to owner, head coach reports to general manager. But in this case, let's be honest, that wouldn't really matter because Gase is going to be the one calling the shots anyway. Well, just hear me out here. A new GM comes in. Adam Gase thinks he has has full say, and they they have the structure. Both of them are reporting back to the owner separately. So the new GM is telling mm-hmm. Adam Gase, "Oh yeah, I'm going to say exactly what you're saying." Meanwhile, he's saying, "Hey, Mr. Johnson, yeah, Adam Gase wants me to tell you this, but I really it's about this." And then all of a sudden, we're sitting here in a, a, another you know year or so, and Adam Gase is out, and the new GM's got all the power. Yeah, what do you what do you think? I mean, honestly, at this point, I can't rule anything out. But as long as this structure remains, that it, you're inviting this. It, it's really that simple. And I, you know, maybe the new GM can come in and should certainly be grateful that uh, for Gase for helping him get the job. But if that new GM starts feeling like that's the other thing, I can't imagine that there's any GM, any person on this planet who would come to this job, no matter how close they are with Gase, who isn't, who's going to be a hundred percent sure that Gase won't turn on him if he mm-hmm. feels he needs to. So maybe that GM will notice that and be like, Hey, I appreciate you getting me this job, but I need to keep this job now. So again, this reporting structure invites that. And like I said before, it could even invite that where you're not meaning to do that. Maybe there's just some type of miscommunication or you just don't hear something that right. And then all of a sudden it creates that. So I wouldn't rule that completely out, not in this organization. And and this is another thing I I just want to add. We do, we're talking about the dysfunction in in this, this organization and it's there. It's obvious, but these jobs aren't given out as meritocracy. We all like, people like to think that's it, but it, does not work that way people in this sport especially but other sports as well it happens in baseball happens in basketball i'm sure it happens in uh hockey and soccer i don't follow it in the same type of way people get hired because of who they know they get hired because of connections they have so people like to have this assumption that oh you're in this job because you know what you're doing no, there's people in every walk of life, in every job, in every business, and especially in sports, that get hired because of somebody they know, and they don't actually deserve the job. They weren't actually qualified enough to get the job in the first place. So that's part of my pushback on the Jets are such a laughingstock dysfunction right now. Is Yes, this is dysfunctional, but it's not really out of, not par for the course of a lot of sports teams and how they're run now. I would argue that's how McCagney got the job in the first place. Thank you, Charlie Casserly.
Absolutely, 100%. That happens in business, too, just in general. That's a way of life that people try to get their friends into jobs. And you totally understand why, because why wouldn't you want to help your friend? But sometimes that works out well, and sometimes it doesn't. And the NFL is no different. And in the world of Adam Gase, as you said, maybe somebody else is going to get Gase. Maybe Gase himself gets Gase. Because if I may quote Wesley Snipes from White Men Can't Jump, in this playground, you either smoke or you get smoked. And that's pretty much how it works around Adam Gase. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Will again at NotSense69. He says, I've heard three names linked to the general manager job. Douglas, Jeremiah, and some guy from Detroit. Douglas seems to be highly regarded. Jeremiah in the surface looks promising. What have you guys heard on the candidates and your opinion on the Jets model of the head coach hiring the general manager? Kind of the way that Kyle Shanahan did it in San Francisco. So we already talked about that part of it. Not the biggest fan of that. I think there are rare circumstances where it works. Pete Carroll would be an example. But again, Pete Carroll had been around a really long time and he had the muscles to flex because of the national championships at USC. So he was able to command that kind of power. I don't think that Gay should, but unfortunately, that's the way it is. I don't think it should be, but that's how it's going to go with the Jets right now. As far as the guys on this list, I've really only dug into Douglas and Jeremiah. I haven't looked much beyond that only because everybody's been telling me that it's pretty much a done deal that Douglas is coming in here. We know about Jeremiah. He's a successful scout in Baltimore, helped build a championship team. He's been in NFL Network a long time. His track record as far as evaluating players is right out there in the public to see, which is rare and it's nice. And that's what I said about Mike Mayock. If you were a Raiders fan, you could look at Mayock's track record and go, oh, okay, we know what to expect from this guy in terms of what his preferences are for player evaluation so that's kind of good as far as Douglas goes he's been in a bunch of winning organizations he was with the Ravens for a really long time he was with the Bears he's with the Philadelphia Eagles so this is a guy with a strong track record highly regarded around the league for his ability to evaluate players but the reality of this is he's never done this job before, so you can only guess the same way that you guess when you pick a kid coming out of college or you guess when you bring a prospect up from the minor leagues to the major leagues. You can look at his track record and think that he's a great prospect and that he's going to be successful, but only time will actually tell. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm pretty much doing the same thing right now. I haven't really looked into the other candidates right now because I still expect it to be Douglas or Jeremiah. But over this weekend, uh, regardless, uh, you know, I don't expect anything to happen here because again, they have to comply with the Rooney Rule. So I don't expect anything to happen really, really quick. But I will look into these other guys and be able to give you more of a you know, opinion on these guys at that point. But Let's, let's talk about this again with the, the head coach hiring a GM, uh, Shanahan. I kind of get it because you, you, you specifically wanted Shanahan. But this is another part of the thing the, that people don't think about is the, the coach and the GM have to kind of have two different viewpoints because the coach is worried about the next game, about how to win the next game. The GM has to have more of a long-term view of the roster now obviously there will be times where you know that we're in more of a win now mode we have enough of a uh, to make a push for the super bowl so maybe okay i'm willing to make a move that might you know take away some flexibility long term but it's so we can make a run now so a gm will do that fine but gm's goals and coaches goals 
Yes, they all want to win the Super Bowl, but still GMs tend to take more of a long-term approach here. So this is why, again, the owner needs to hire a GM, the GM needs to hire a coach, and then they need to report in that fashion. It's just much simpler and much easier that way, but this is the Jets. They don't like to do things the simple and easy way. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Jesse Peretz again. He says, can you please start a rumor that Doug Marone is going to be the next GM so I can watch Manish's head explode? (laughs) I got to say, man, Manish is taking a bit of a beating. I don't feel sorry for him. He kind of brought it on himself for the way that he's handled things the last couple of months or really the last couple of years in the Doug Marone reference, obviously because Doug Marone was more or less torpedoed when he tried to get the head coaching job here with the Jets by Manish, who had a bit of an axe to grind with Doug Marone, to say the least. But yeah, Manish has seemed to be a bit unbalanced the last day or two, and he's not taking this well. (laughs) <laughs> he's not, but I get, I'll stick with it. I'll just say that I don't feel bad for him because I don't really think he's going to care. At no, the end of no the day, not at all. He's not going to care. He, he, he's reacting right now, but he, Manish is going to be just fine. Yeah, at the end of the day, Manish is still a widely read columnist at the New York Daily News. I'm sure he gets paid well. I doubt that he's really going to care that much about some people on Twitter lashing out at him. Next question comes in from one of your fellow writers, Christian Dyer. He says, is a fedora ever acceptable outside of a major horse race or if you're backyard barbecuing? Yes, if you are Joey Jeremiah in the old television show Degrassi Junior High. Then it's acceptable because people wore fedoras in the 80s. Right now, it's a little weird outside of those circumstances that you identified, Christian. I this answer depends on the person. It's case by case basis. There's people that can pull it off and there's people that can't pull it off. Christian Dyer, you're not one of the people that can pull this off. <laughs> I'm not one of the people that can pull it off either, so it's not an insult. If somebody catches me with a fedora on my head, I'm wearing it for a joke and it'll be off my head in about three seconds after that. Otherwise, it's not going to work. I can't pull it off. And sorry, Dyer, you can't either. Next question comes in from Ian Bartholomew. He says, has the Jets drama occurred because I wondered aloud at the start of the week whether to put up all the Jets podcasts I listened to aside until training camp? Was this the universe's way of telling me I needed to keep listening to these podcasts? Yes, that is exactly what happened. You need to be listening to the podcast all throughout the year. And this was just the universe's way of telling you that if you stop listening, things are going to happen. It's not the universe. It's me. I started all this. I'm the one that got in Gase's ear and told him that he got to get rid of McCagnan. It's all on me. I did this to stir up the pot, to, to get clout, and to force you to listen to the podcast sooner. That's why you're a very big deal. You have the kind of stroke to make those things happen. Wait, I wasn't supposed to say that out loud, was I? Oh, man, can you just edit this out? Nah, oh, well, whatever. Just going to have to roll with it. You said the quiet part out loud again, Chris. We've talked about this. <laughs> I do that. I do that a lot. Um, oh, man. I did it again. For a very big deal, you don't know much about confidentiality. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, because the very big deal doesn't actually have to worry about repercussions. It's true. When you're that big of a deal, you just do what you want and people suck it up. Yeah, they, they just deal with it. Oh, it's just nimbly big deal in it again. All right. No big deal. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. <laughs> 
Next question comes in from Ryan Dillon. He says, in all seriousness, how much responsibility should the local media have in reporting versus pushing a story slash agenda? In light of certain Jets beat writers' surprising behavior, gee, I wonder who he's talking about, following the Max story, it makes me less trusting of them overall for real reporting. So... I'll answer this, but Chris, obviously, you're going to have a lot more insight on this because this is really more your territory than mine. So I would say that the way that Daryl carries himself, the way that Matt Stipulkowski carries himself, the way that Chris carries himself, for the most part, the Jets beat is pretty good at this. They recognize that it is not their job to push an agenda. With McCagnin, they'll give you their honest thoughts, but they realize it's not their job to campaign to get this guy fired. It was the same thing with Todd Bowles. Report the news, give honest takes, and that's it. Some people go a little above and beyond that. We can question their motives for it. I've always felt that it was highly inappropriate. We were talking about Manish, and Chris, I know that you and Manish are on the beat together, so you don't have to talk about this, but I will. What he did with Doug Marone was flat-out disgraceful. I've said this before. I didn't even want Doug Marone here to be the head coach, but Manish went into that with a clear agenda, and he went after Doug Marone with everything he had, and it was a total hatchet job, column after column. He managed to find absolutely nobody to say something positive about Doug Marone, which seems impossible because the guy had been in the league a really long time. He had to have some allies, and in fact, Bill Parcells had spoken highly of him in the past. He could have just gone to Bill Parcells for a comment, but he didn't. That's the kind of reporting that I think you're talking about that is definitely untrustworthy. But the only thing I can tell you is you have to read each beat reporter separately, determine who you think is trustworthy based on how they report, and then you kind of figure out who you should read and take seriously and who you shouldn't. And that's the way that you should really treat any reporting in any arena because that's the way it's going to go, not just in sports, but any kind of reporting. There are going to be reporters that have agendas and push them. There are going to be reporters that you should trust because they tend to not have agendas and just stick to reporting the story. You eventually will figure out who's who and what's what. Yeah, it's a fair question. I will also go and kind of flip it around and be like, in all seriousness, what uh – where do the fans, the consumers of this product, where's their responsibility here? Because the key is you have to be discerning about who you listen to. And it's the same thing. We've talked about this before, uh, how you know people paint the entire media with a broad brush. And a lot of times what they do is they're, they're, they just point out like, talking heads on tv and uh, that's not news that is entertainment the tv news is just entertainment if you want to get actual news there's still a lot of really good news done in traditional news ways you find it you know not as much in the papers if you're not getting the physical papers but the papers website you can still find that and I, I I fall into this other category, but most beat writers, they don't really voice their opinions on stuff because they're not supposed to voice their opinions on stuff. I'm operating in this kind of gray area, middle ground, where you know I, I'm, I run a, a blog. It's centered just on the Jets. I'm in charge now. I own the site, so I can do whatever the hell I want. Uh, so I do a little bit beat writer stuff, but I also will give you my opinion. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm always right. 
So, but I'm going, fans want opinions from people who have more information than them. I don't want to hold those opinions back. I feel comfortable giving those opinions. I also feel that the way that I carry myself, it's transparent and obvious enough to everyone that, yeah, there's going to be some people who will accuse me of having an agenda and doing this. But if you follow me along, you can see that I'm pretty consistent with how I give my takes and what type of takes I give and I can, I will be fair. And I will, as much as I've been criticizing McCagnan and there was plenty of times where people criticize McCagnan for stuff that I didn't think was warranted that I would say, this is kind of ridiculous. This is kind of silly. He, there's plenty that he deserves scorn and criticism for, but this isn't it. I've been doing that since Rex was here. So you have to be a discerning and you have to, who you follow and who you really listen to. And if you want to watch the talking heads on TV for entertainment value to laugh at, cool, go with that. But you can't sit there. You shouldn't sit there and really get mad and worked up over it because they're doing exactly what they do. That's, that's their job. So be discerning about who's reporting what, where's that report coming from, where, who is benefiting from it. I talk about this a lot when, Whenever you want to, you read something with sources, imagine who benefits the most from that story, from that particular narrative getting put out there. And you'll probably be able to figure out within reason, a couple of people who the source is or where the source of the information started from. So that I do think I completely understand and agree with, with his point. I just, I think that it's some, there is some responsibility for the readers and the people consuming this too. Just, you know, if you feel a certain way about reporters and you feel they have an agenda, then don't tune them out. Don't worry about it and focus on the ones that you do trust. And most of the other reporters on the beat do just straight down the middle uh, reporting. And they don't really offer their opinions. They're not really given the freedom and the flexibility to do that. I know there's other reporters who would probably like to voice their opinion more, but they're not really given that rope because of their job and everything else. And then you have to realize with Manish is the only thing I'll say on him again, he doesn't care. He's doing his job and he's, he's great, great at what he does. And everybody getting riled up is part of what he does. He loves it. The more clicks for him, but he's also a columnist. So his responsibility is not the same as other people who are traditional beat writers. So it, it is different in, in those, in those areas. And you just have to be a little more discerning. And, and if you think something sounds a little sus suspect, wait and see. And it, I'll put it this way. It's just, we've talked about this with uh, pro football focus, PFF. If I sit there and I see, uh, you know, I, I have my views on a player and then I go to PFF and their views match up, then I'm like, all right, cool. You guys, I think you got this one right. If their views are either, you know, way more positive on that player than me or way more negative on that player than me, then I will go back and I will look at it again. So if there's something you see reported by somebody else, then you can go and look at the other, other reporters, see what everybody else is saying and try to match up and then make your decision there on what to go and who to go with and who to trust. Jonathan Grella, who, by the way, just started up his own venture, JAG Public Affairs. So if you're looking for somebody to do some PR for you, help out a fellow Jets fan. But he was on the podcast recently and talked about this. He, of course, was the director of communications for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for three years. 
And it's exactly what you said, Chris. You just play a little clue. You figure out who these quotes benefit, and you can kind of figure out where it's coming from. And if a reporter tends to be reporting stuff from that vantage point regularly, then you tend to know who the source is within reason. It's one of a couple of people. So that's something to keep in mind, and that's a good way that you can ferret out the ones that you don't trust or don't want to listen to because you feel like they're not credible. Always think critically. The other thing I'll say is be very careful of confirmation bias. People tend to seek out and agree with opinions that reinforce what they already think. So if a reporter is reporting things that you want to hear, you'll put more stock in it. Whereas if he's not, you won't. And we saw a lot of this recently with this Matt Gase story. A lot of people didn't want to believe it, so they wrote off everybody that was reporting it as not credible or anti-Jets or whatever it was. And we talked about this as far as Rich Semini goes. And I don't want to necessarily single out Rich except to say that he's been on the beat a really long time. And yes, sometimes he brings the criticism on himself with some of the snarkiness and he can be a little overly negative in his commentary when maybe a little bit of sugar could be thrown on top. But at the same time, there's a reason why he's been on the beat for so long and it's because he has a lot of sources and he does report the facts. And even if he tends to be negative more than people would like, He's still somebody that is a credible reporter for a reason. You read his reporting and you can see, okay, this guy got this from three, four, five sources because that's the old school way of doing it. And that's the way that they teach you how to do it in journalism school, I would imagine, Chris, because you went to journalism school and I did not. But that's really how it goes. You can't just necessarily filter out people because they're saying negative things that you don't want to hear because a lot of times those negative things will be true and you don't want to gravitate towards somebody who's only telling you positive things that you do want to hear. People were joking that Manish quote unquote turned baby face because he was reporting mostly positive things about the Jets. But as I've said many times, that's not his job. His job is to report on the Jets. Although, as you did say, Chris, he's got a little bit different responsibilities because he's a columnist as opposed to a straight beat writer now. Still, though, you should always be suspicious of somebody who always seems to come down on one side or the other. Next question comes in from Chris Gregson, and he says, I do not have a question. All right, then. <laughs> Fair enough. We do not have an answer. That sure seems to be a good place to end part three of the mailbag. We'll be back with part four tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure you follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly. Read his very big deal work at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.